This morning, we'll just continue to look at a little bit of the background for First John. Don't want to do an extensive background thing. It is important to know what the background is, what, why the letter was written, and so on. But I think we said enough. The issue in the church is an issue of a philosophy that is pervading the Greek world at this time. You remember that the church that John is writing to probably is made up of more Gentile believers than Jewish believers. And so the issue among Jewish believers in the church was legalism, you know, breaking away from the Old Testament traditions requiring believers to adhere to the Old Testament traditions in order to be a believer. And a lot of what Paul has talked about has addressed those things. But in the other part of the church, the Gentiles were under the sway of Greek and Roman, if you would, philosophy, but I call it theology. These are teachings about their lives and how they are to live and the future and their God. So it's really a theology, even though it's called a philosophy. <clears throat> and the pervading philosophy that is beginning to develop at this point around 80 A.D. to 90 A.D. when the letter was written and has come into the church was a philosophy or theology called Gnosticism. It emphasized knowledge as the way to gain spiritual transcendence a way to know the divine. And the problem with this was, of course, it wasn't based in knowing God. But the problem with this was, among other things, is Gnostics, Gnostics denied that Jesus was, that the Son of God had a real body. That it was not a real body, it just looked like a body and whatever. Because they made a differentiation between the flesh and the spirit, or the material and the non-material. And they said, look, a God cannot dwell in the material. It's corrupt. It's nasty. It's filled with problems. And so how can a divine being who is supposedly perfect, or whatever he may be, live in this kind of a body? And so they rejected the idea that the Son of God inhabited a real body. Now, what other major religion of the world continues to reject it? Islam. Islam. Jesus is not the Son of God. Why? Because the Son of God, the Divine One, would never and cannot dwell in a body such as ours. I mean, how can he dwell in pig poop? I mean, what else can you say about it? He can't. So Jesus is a great prophet like Moses and like, you know, what is it, Muhammad and all the others. But he's just a prophet because he could never come as, what's the name of the God? Allah himself. Because, Charles, you have a, you, your, your body is corrupt, brother. Your, your body is nasty. It's fallen. And so a God could not inhabit you. And so, you know, in Christianity, we teach what? The Son of God has taken to himself a real corporal flesh and blood body. And the Son of God in a real corporal, C-O-R-P-A-L, corporal flesh and blood body went to the cross and died. And he experienced the punishment that was meant for us. And in that experience of the punishment and in taking to himself the full 
penalty for our sin, God forgave us because the penalty for our sin was dealt with and was uh, paid for at the cross. Why? Because Galatians 2.20, what does that say? What is Galatians 2.20? I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And so God now dwells, the Spirit of God now dwells in us. He dwells in us because he has sanctified us. Because all that was corrupt and wrong about us has been placed in or on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus. And he represented him, us. And we were, if you would, spiritually, positionally in him when he died. So that when he died, he paid the full price for all of our corruption. So in his resurrection, we are now given his perfection or his righteousness, correct? We have made the righteousness of God in Christ. Second Corinthians, what is it? 521. So this is happening. Another part of the issue is the sin. We don't really sin anymore. It's the body that's sinning, but we're spiritual. So we're not really, we don't have any sin to deal with. And so John in chapter 5 verse 13 says this. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John's primary concern is the promotion and the protection of God's saving purpose in us. We get that? And that's Paul's primary concern, is the protection and promotion of God's purpose in saving us. Now, why would that be their primary concern? Now, you see, if you're not careful, you'll think about us. Well, because we have to be saved. Because we can't be forgiven. God's primary concern is the protection and promotion of his purpose for saving us. Correct? We would agree with that, wouldn't we? But what is God's purpose that he's protecting? The primary purpose of God in saving us is not about us. But about the declaration of his glory about the manifestation of his triune nature and his character in us as a people who will be showing forth the glory of this God of ours through our salvation. Do we see that? We want to be very, very careful not to be man-centered or man-oriented when it comes to the things of God. God saved us because we were needing salvation, correct? He saved us because we were lost. But why did he save you, Bo? Because he saved you to be one in whom his glory would be manifested and shining in a great way. So that people, when they see you and your life, they would say, this God is a great God. Amen? That's the reason we were saved. That's what Paul, John, and the rest of the writers of the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, are promoting and preserving and seeking to 
have increased in power. So what does Second Peter 1.4 say? Anybody knows what Second Peter 1.4? It's a good statement of God's purpose. So what? Say it again, Anna. That he has saved us so that we would become partakers of his divine nature. It says thee, but his divine nature. Now, why does God bring us into this kind of participation into his divine nature? Why? Because he, his primary purpose in creation is the display of how great and glorious he is. Do we get that? Have we gotten that in this class? That is what has motivated God. Now you say, well, wow, that's egotistical. Well, with us, any egotism, you know, me, 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 is wrong. But with God, it's right. He is right to want to share the glory of his nature and of his character, correct? He's right. Why? He's perfect. He is right. This is the way it should be. He is the only being in all creation who has not only the right, but he is right in doing it this way. Everybody else is what? You're wrong to be that way, Jody. You're egotistical. But Jesus is right to be that way because his egotism or ego, meaning I, my, mine, is what it should be because in all of it, Finally, the glory and character of our God is on display. So do we see that? So this is what John is dealing with now. <clears throat> so when we quote 2 Peter 1, 4, we quote something here that's very, very important. <clears throat> this means that God has created us to enjoy personal and intimate fellowship with him. Do we see the word fellowship? We don't see it in there, but partakers has a flavor there of fellowship. We become partakers of the divine nature. How to become partakers? We don't become the divine nature. We don't become equal with the divine nature. We are brought into a fellowshipping union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our salvation. This is what happens. This is why we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is why we have been forgiven of our sin. This is why Jesus is coming back. So finally... He will have a new heaven and a new earth in which all of God's people are forever dwelling together as a community of fellowship with God and with one another. This is God's purpose. Everything about what God does is for the promotion and the protection, if you would, and the building up of this purpose. John knows that any unbiblical doctrine any unbiblical doctrine, no matter how slight it is, has the potential to disrupt this fellowship. Now, it is this mutual fellowship with God and with one another, this mutual fellowship with God and with one another, that the Holy Spirit seeks to protect and foster in First John. This is the emphasis. He has things that he's going to talk about. This is right. This is wrong. Don't do that. Do that. Uh, you know, live this way, live that way. But the reason he's doing that, everything that he's going to talk about has fellowship as its object. And why does he have fellowship with his object? Because God's purpose is the declaring of his own glory and of his own essence and of his own transcendence and of his own et cetera, et cetera in this arena, if you would, or in this activity of fellowshipping. This is the context in which God is honored and glorified in us. 
the context in which he is honored and glorified in us is our mutual fellowship among one another and with God the Father, God the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Do we understand that? It's extremely important. This is the whole purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be a corporate community that images Christ in such a way that we are in the same kind of fellowship with God that the Son of God enjoys. Do we see that? Fellowship is not just, well, it's one of the things we do. Fellowship is not one of the things we do. We should never make fellowship an an activity of the church. It is the foundation and life and activity and purpose and power of the church. Do we see that this morning? I want to make sure we don't categorize fellowship and put it on a level it's fellowship and it's this and that and the other. And we have seven, eight, 10, 12, whatever thing that are. No, it's fellowship is the foundation. Everything else that the church does is as a result of fellowship and builds it up and manifests it. I want to make sure I, I just want to make sure we see that. Do we see that? Now, maybe this is the first time you've thought about fellowship this way, and that's great. But it is critical to understand that we were saved for fellowship. So what is 1 Corinthians 1.9? Remember these verses. I don't think it's in your notes. Is it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 1.9? Write it down, 1 Corinthians 1.9. For God is faithful. For God is faithful. Who has called us. Into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why you're saved. And to be in fellowship with the son is to be in fellowship with the father, is to be in fellowship by the power of the Holy Spirit. Correct? And to be in fellowship with the son is to be in fellowship with what? One another. So you see, fellowship is not just one of the things that we need to make sure we're doing okay and we have a fellowship dinner and we have a fellowship gathering. That's fine. It is the reason for our existence as believers. Can you say amen? It is through fellowship that God has declared himself to be the God, to be a triune God in which the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in absolute oneness of unity and experience, continual, perfect fellowship. Amen. That fellowship is to be manifested in our fellowship. Do we get it? I must ask questions. I don't, I don't have the ability to give tests like I used to when I was an English teacher. But do you get that? Can you say yes or no? Are we getting this? It's too critical for me to make sure, you know, like, it was for the establishment of this divine human fellowship that God sent his son into the world to save us. Jesus came into the world, what? To forgive us our sins. Yes. 
He came into the world to bless us. Yes, 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 and all of these things. But what was, that's secondary, but what was underneath it, what was underneath it, that we should be the people of fellowshipping with God, that we should be brought into the very fellowshipping context and activity and experience with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why you're saved. That's the purpose of our life. And that fellowship is expressed this way among us as God's family. It is this divine human fellowship, in this divine human fellowship, that the glory of God's triune nature and character is displayed in us as we live as the corporate expression of Christ. Do we see the connection? <clears throat> Are we beginning to get the unity here? between God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as a triune God of three divine equal persons living in a relational fellowship that is now being expressed and manifested in us as we live in fellowship with God and with one another. That's the centrality of this. This is not just something that we should do. This is who we are. And for this purpose, you have been saved. It is the establishment of this fellowship that we read Matthew 1, 20 to 40, 24. Let me read this to you. All of you have heard these verses. But this is the purpose of, of um, fellowship here. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. You see, he came to save us from our sin. Amen? Amen. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the, had, was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a Son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning what? God is with us. Emmanuel is the title given to this son because it expresses the purpose of God. God with us, therefore we with God. So let me just read the first part of First John and you can get the emphasis. And we'll go back into this in a week or two as we go back into the first four verses of John, which is the introduction. He says this, I'm starting verse three, so that you too may have fellowship. Is it this in your notes? You may have fellowship with us. You see, his purpose is fellowship. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, if we walk in the, well, we lie. Okay. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So you see right off the bat, in the beginning of the letter, we begin to see John's burden is fellowship. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. I want you just to write the answer yes or no on your notes. Don't tell anybody and don't let the person next to you cheat. <laughs> so, A.J., keep your eyes on your paper. Just write yes or no. Question number one. There are only going to be two of them. So we're not talking about an extensive test here. 
Do you believe that your behavior can affect your relationship with God? Just write yes or no. Don't answer up there. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Do you believe that your behavior, our behavior, can affect our relationship with God? Everybody put an answer down? Anybody still trying to struggle with that? Second question, can sin damage our relationship with God? Can sin damage our relationship with God? Yes or no? Write it down. Come on. I see some of you just sitting there looking at me. If you don't answer this, you won't pass the test. You have to do homework. You have to listen to me over and over again on the tape. So you better, you better get it down. Okay. Everybody have an answer from one and two? Now, I, I need to ask it this way. Be brave. Be brave. How many of you said no to these two questions? How many of you said no? Now, what's wrong with these people? How many times do we know that if we do not walk with God faithfully and obey him, we have a strained relationship with him? You see, here's the problem. The man who's just walking in is Bob Swanson. See, Bob thought he could sneak into the class while my back was turned, but I could smell him coming in. Bob has a certain scent about him. No, sense, I should say. Yeah. By the way, your hairdresser didn't do a good job on you this week. Now, look, this is critical. It's critical. This is critical. I have asked these questions to highlight a fundamental weakness in our understanding between the words fellowship and relationship. There's a major difference. The problem with the English language today is this. The casual use of words which has caused now or is causing their original meanings to be altered or watered down. Now, that's always, that always will happen in a language. And so today, relationships come and go. Amen? How many of you know this? I mean, we, we speak that way, right? I have a relationship with someone. Something happened. We don't have a relationship anymore. Are you with me today? It's a very casual thing. And so the word relationship used this way by us in a society has to do with behavior. Can you say amen sometimes? Can you let me know you understand? It has to do with behavior. A husband and wife's relationship, Ron and Flo, let's take Ron and Flo as examples. Now, Flo's a delightful person, lovely lady. But Ron, <laughs> and so Ron, the way he acts, affects their relationship. Or Flo, the way she reacts, affects their relationship in a general way. Speaking like the normal people in the world, wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you agree? Well, certainly. Certainly. Gina and I don't have that problem. I'm always the one who's doing wrong and she's doing right, so we don't have that issue. 
But you see, it's, it's okay to use this word incorrectly in society. But when we're talking about biblical truth, we must be precise. See, David is an attorney. David, raise your hand so they'll know who you're talking about. You notice why I said I'm, so they'll know who you. So David is an attorney. Is it important, brother, when you're writing? Do y'all do briefs? You see, that's what they say about Keith and me. We're brief. <laughs> when you write a brief, you just put it down anyway, and it doesn't matter. You're just kind of loose with the language. If you do, you will lose your case. Is that correct? Or at least potentially so. You must be accurate. You must be like a surgeon with words. Because people say, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Because you see, the understanding of this undergirds our stability in Christ. Amen? It is the foundation upon which we walk. And if our foundation is loose and gushy and all that, we will fall. So what we're after today is never to use the word relationship pell-mell in any way. But when we come to talking about the things of God, let's make sure that we tidy up our word usage and conversation. Amen? You hear it all the time. It doesn't mean that speakers, teachers, or preachers don't make mistakes by using words. But you hear too often a very... Like, what did he say? How did he say? And it just doesn't compute because we're becoming too lazy with language. I think you know that already. Now, the basis of our walk with God, the basis of our fellowship with God, is our relationship with God. Can you remember that? Can you write it down or something? The basis of our fellowship with God is our relationship with God. Now, this word is not used biblically. It's not in the Bible. So the words that are typically used in the Bible for this relationship, I'm speaking biblically now, related to becoming of the same the word that is used most commonly is union, union. We have been joined together with Christ and in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are in union with Christ by the Spirit. It is a relationship that is has been purchased at the cross. It is a relationship that has been given freely to us because of the death of our Redeemer. It is a relationship that has come to us by the invading power and presence of the Holy Spirit being called being born again. You see that in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It is a relationship that is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He is the seal. He is the arabon, the down payment. 
And as long as the Holy Spirit is in us, and he will be in us as long as there is a divine man sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We are in union with God. Amen. Our union with God is not the result of, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. You see, we're not talking about surrendering our, I mean, calling upon the Lord to be saved. We're not seeking God. That is not the, the result of, um, that is not the cause of our union. You're not in Christ because you asked Jesus to be your Savior. I, I don't, do you ever notice there's certain prejudices in me? I don't like that. Why? Because it says God has sought for us and has won us. You're in Christ because God has brought you into Christ. You're saved because Jesus spilled his blood of the cross to save you. This was done in the mind and the heart of God before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. We are saved and we are in fellowship with God because of the eternal purpose and determination and decree of a God who says... I will have a people, and these will be my people, and they will be my people as I send my son into the world to purchase them so that they can be made relationally fit for my presence. And this is why we're here today. And the response that occurred in us when the Holy Spirit invaded us. Remember Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I will put my spirit in them. I will wash them. Well, go back to verse 25, then I will wash them. Our response to that is John 1, 13, which says, to as many as received him, to them he gave what? the right or the authority to become the sons of God, even to those who, what, believe on his name. You remember that verse? So do we have to do something? Yes, our something is receiving. And the reason we can receive and the reason we want to receive is because the Holy Spirit has taken out the heart of resistance and sin, the hard heart, and given us a living heart, correct? And when he did that, it's all of a sudden, whoa, I want to be saved. I have sinned. Lord. See, where did that come from? God. Are we with me today? You see, you ain't saved because you asked Jesus to come into your heart. Please stick that thing in the garbage can. You saved because Jesus decided to obey the Father. Remember Psalm 2? I will give thee the nations as your inheritance if you obey me. You remember that? And you're here and we're here because he decided to obey the Father's will, to be glorified in a people for whom he would die. And he sent the Holy Spirit into the world to collect all of God's people whom he knew before the foundation of the world, for whom he foreknew knew ahead of time relationally 
for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. Remember that? This is good news, isn't it? We are brought into fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit who has baptized us or who has placed us into relational union with Christ. Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, do you know I'm baptized? That's another way of saying being saved. That is not about water. Water is the outward physical natural sign or declaration of this internal work of the spirit we're not saved because we've had water put on us or we've gone underneath the water we are saved by baptized which means this we have been placed into christ have been placed into his death or baptized him into his death that baptism that placement is baptizo it means to be placed into that work of god has occurred in us by the spirit and that's the work of god that we proclaim when we undergo water baptism which jesus says you ought to be baptized you need to be baptized i want you to be baptized why it's part of the obedience of declaration that i belong to god i am no longer belonging to the world i've been separated i've been forgiven i've been cleansed i've been made a new person in Christ, I now belong to Jesus. Amen? If you haven't been water baptized, you need to. Why? Because Jesus said to. And if you don't, you're walking in disobedience. And why would you do that? See, this union with Christ is often referred to as relationship. Relationship. Our fellowship with God is the result of our union. Our fellowship with God is based on, built upon, functioning out of, declaring our relationship with God. And how does this relationship come about? Remember Colossians 1.13? What? Colossians 1.13, what? God has what? Is it in your notes? Maybe read it with me. God has delivered us from, say it again, from the domain of Satan, correct? Right? Of darkness, Satan, sin, and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We were in Adam. All in Adam, meaning under condemnation, die and are condemned. Let's make sure we get this. I'm getting close on my time. But I want to make sure we get it. If a person is condemned. Are you tracking with me? Mahaney? If a person is condemned. Is he condemned because he sins? How many of us and be brave. Continue to sin. The rest of you need to repent of sin. So if sinning is the issue of being saved, ain't none of us are going to be saved. Are you with me? Now, we're not talking about doing anything you want. That's another day for another topic. Are we condemned because we were uh, uh, sin? No, we are condemned because we were in Adam. And being in Adam, the fruit of being in Adam is unrepentant, continual sin. The root is in Adam. The fruit is disobedient life. Correct, Joe? But now 
we have been transferred into the what kingdom of God's beloved agapitos, beloved son. Now we are where? In Christ. The authority of sin and Satan has been forever broken. Yet, because we still live in bodies that are fallen, the presence of sin's power continues in us. And so we're still able to be tempted to sin and we have to resist that temptation to sin. But before in Adam, before we were saved, we couldn't help but to sin. And you may say, look, I had that temptation before I was saved and I didn't do it. All you did, Daniel, is to shift it into another area. And the shifting in another area is sinning because you didn't depend on the Holy Spirit for it. (laughs) you thought you thought you were doing okay in a couple of areas before you you know you were saved at least i didn't do this and that it wasn't no it was sin because you didn't if you would resist it or stop doing it in the power of the spirit you just did it in your own abilities isn't it lovely to get this understanding we have fellowship with god That is the primary function and foundation of everything. This relationship is not because we gave our hearts to God. Do we see that today? I know that's a way of saying it, and you know what I mean. No, I don't like what you're saying because it's not biblically accurate. We're not saved because we gave our hearts to God. We are saved because God gave his son for us. Can you say amen? We're not saved because we gave our hearts to Jesus. We are saved because God gave Jesus to us, which we embraced. I know Romans 10 says they call upon the name of the Lord. Well, of course it is. Why? Calling is the response to having been called. Our calling is not initiating, it's a responsive call. Therefore, this relationship is permanent in heaven. Jesus entered the most holy place, Hebrews 9, 12, once for all by his own blood, having obtained, what are those last two words? Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. This relationship In Christ, sons of God, family members, saved, forgiven, is now our permanent spiritual status. Our fellowship with God is the fruit of this permanent union. The relationship will not be touched because it is in Christ And as long as our Savior lives before the throne of God, we are in relationship with God the Father by the Spirit. Guaranteed by Him who sits in the throne with God. Amen? That's the guarantee made real in us by the Spirit. And God ain't letting nothing come in to take away His kids. Now, the consequences of sin, yes, another day. So let's today remember fellowship is what the church is all about. This is what we're brought into. 
So when we're sharing with one another, whatever, I'm hoping you do stumble over the word about, do you have a relationship with God? You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, the, the, you know, the preaching, you need to have a relationship with God. It's loose. I don't want a surgeon to operate on me. Uh, let me see that one. Let me see. I, can, I think I can use this one or that one. It doesn't really matter. Yes. Our fellowship with one another is a declaration of our fellowship with God and his with us. Amen. So let's begin to ask God to give us a revelation, experience, and function in fellowship that we have never experienced before so that he can be more glorified in us as ever before. Amen. Now, next week, we're going to have uh, the men's retreat. We won't have class next week. The ladies and maybe a few men will be here. Uh, we'll be praying about uh, the same time. as. So if you're, you're a lady and you're, you come and pray. If you're a man, hopefully you're able to go to the retreat. If you're not, I'll be here speaking, and I'll look at each one of you and find out what's going on. No. Uh, and so next week, no school of the word the week after next. Amen? Thank you.